0: Welcome back to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. And I am glad that you guys could make it because today I have on Mr. Ricky Dell Harrington Jr. Um, for those of you who've been around for a little bit, you probably recognize the name. He is the gentleman who ran against Tom Cotton for the Arkansas Senate race last year. Um, and what drew me to this guy is is that he has a way of presenting himself, like he's a minister, right? So he's got this kind of, I don't know, meek and mild tone about him, but he's also like bringing some heavy hitters, man, to the mic. I don't know. There's something about the way that this man can can spread the message of liberty that that is inspiring. And so um, I wanted to kind of sit down and talk to him about how he came into the political arena and also talk about his upcoming governor race in Arkansas. So um, sit down and enjoy the conversation. Here is Ricky Dell Harrington Jr. All right and I am here with the one and the only Mr. Ricky Dell Harrington. How you doing sir? Doing well Drew. How about yourself? I'm doing well man. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, you know for those those who, who know you, who watched you in, in, in your last race, there's something about watching somebody with such a, a humble and meek attitude get up and and portray libertarian talking points in the manner in which you did. And it's inspirational. And I really wanted to have you on here to kind of discuss some of that discuss like who you are as a person, because man, that's what we need more of, in my opinion. You know, we have absolute, everybody's really good at, at that one thing. You know, you got some people who are really good at, at, at combating talking points. You have other people who are good at kind of like reaching across the aisle and grabbing people, but you have this like unique ability to t- to do both. You have this ability to kind of combat some of these horrific ideas that we hear coming out of you know like the delegation from your state but also you have a way to reach across the aisle and, and really touch home to, to some people but before we get into all that can you give us a little background how did how did Ricky Dell Harrington come to be?
1: well um, specifically getting into politics um, it was just that time after being in China and it was it was difficult uh yes but uh, i went there as a missionary and we had to go under the guise of being university teachers or english teachers because they don't issue missionary visas Um, every church has to be registered with the government there in china and if you want to become a pastor or something like that. You have to go to state-sanctioned seminaries. And so, you know, it was a lot of observing some of the things that they have over there. And then I was observing the the presidential race from afar. And it was just a combination of a whole lot of things that, that kind of leaves people um, wondering, okay, what, what do I do next? Or what should I do? And um I saw some of the moves that the president of, of China was making, and uh, I called most of the moves that he made, right? And so I'm, I'm coming back home, and right now I'm trying to tell everybody that we need to step away from this hyper-partisanship and this uh, confrontational way of dealing with politics. Open up a history book. It always ends the same way. It ends in bloody conflict. And uh, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go that route. And so it's going to take a lot of people who do not want it to go that route to come together to start compromising and, and stop letting the for-profit media pump us up into, uh, you know, fomenting that we're ready to, to, to fight one another. And we see things that we we saw like what happened in January. Um, regardless of what you may think about it, you need to think about the, the <laughs> the detritus of, uh, uh, what can happen.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. So had, what was your prior to the, the, the trip to, to China and prior to, you know, your, your involvement in that, had you heard of the libertarian party before that, or what drew you to the LP specifically, I guess?
1: Well, um, I've always had uh, anti-authoritarian ideals way back before um, being against police brutality was a fashionable thing. um, I was against it um, before I got heavily into politics. And so for me, you know, libertarianism, the draw to it from, for me was the, the, the the idea of making sure that the government does not cross the lines that are laid out for it, not to cross that. It's not authoritarian that it doesn't become fascist or uh, despotic in any sense because we, we say we're supposed to be a, a country of, of liberty and freedom and giving people the opportunity. well you, you're not giving it to them. it's out there, so to speak, for for the, uh, for the nitpicking folks out there. It's out there. You got to grab it yourself. You know the the whole Americana bootstrapping, you know, idea right. that, that permeates our culture. So, um, for me, I had a friend that introduced me to, hey, there's another candidate that's not one of the main two candidates out there, Gary Johnson. And so I, I started looking into Gary Johnson's campaign, and I, you know, I took the the leap of faith, so to speak. And 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 joined the party, um, voted for Gary Johnson, um, but for but for me, it's that it's a simple thing, of being anti-authoritarian, and yes, a person can be Democrat or Republican and still be an anti-authoritarian. But um, I think the Libertarian Party has positioned itself, or can position itself, and should position itself as as the you know put the put the flag in the ground we're the anti-authoritarian party we're the party that makes sure that uh you know power doesn't corrupt and and those that do have power do not abuse the citizenry it's
0: right. just that simple
1: for me i like that i
0: mean that's a solid point man i mean that's that's why we're here so gary johnson comes along and he you, you start you know linking this up now correct me if i'm wrong but was it three years ago that the, that the LP Arkansas made it on the ballot?
1: Well, um, we have not made it on the ballot per Arkansas law, but we we have to collect signatures. And right now that's what we're doing. We're collecting, we have to get 10,000 signatures as a party to gain ballot access. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're going through that collecting signatures and, um, they've been successful, um, Getting on the ballot, the party—they've um, been successful. I, I wouldn't have run the the last race or been able to be on the ballot. Um, of course, we had to sue because they passed another law trying to increase the the signature threshold. Right. And I was a part of that uh, lawsuit with the party so that we could get on the ballot.
0: That's just disgusting tactics that they use, man. You know, and I think that there's a lot of people who look and and say, Oh, third party and viable. It's like, well, I mean, you're, you're making it to where we're not viable. I mean, look at all the legwork and the resources that we have to spend Oklahoma. Like we have, there has been a, a many, many years and many, many dollars that went into getting us onto the ballot. Now, thankfully, you know, we were able to pass that glass ceiling to where we've had some really great candidates come along. Um, we had Chris Powell come, and he he did really great, and that secured us for a number of years. Uh, Todd Hagopian in his last race for a, a county or corporation commission, he did insanely well, and so we're good. And I know y'all will get there, but I understand getting to that point can be frustrating. Um, so what, what are... Where are you at on signatures right now? Do you know? Do y'all have an exact number or
1: have y'all reached the threshold? I don't have a, uh, an exact count right now. We do have a lot of people, uh, a lot of volunteers going out. And, you know, the call to action uh, that I made the other day, hopefully others will, will do the same because it, it is about democracy. And I'm trying to encourage the people. Of all the different little loopholes, and, and informing people, I should say, of all of the, the loopholes and the ways that they keep people off the ballot. And during my last campaign, a lot of people, especially young people, which was uh, phenomenal, asked me, "What does it take really to to run for office?" And that was such a wonderful opportunity to, uh, you know, maybe shape some young minds that. Who have a future that might change uh, a lot of things for the state for the better. Hopefully for the better, of course, because as, as with anything, when it comes to power, it, it does have a, a way of, of corrupting people. And you'd be surprised how something as simple as this little, it's a map pencil, how this can be an object of power in the prisons. So if something that small can be an object of power in in one little Ecosystem. I mean, think about the type of power our elected officials have. Uh-huh. I mean, in, in one moment, I mean, Joe Biden and Putin can have a bad conversation and all of a sudden we're escalated into a, a massive conflict. Right. But I don't think that um, there's a whole lot of steps that we have to go through for that conflict to happen. And for me, my speculation is that. Um, some of the countries like Russia and China, um, they don't want to engage us militarily. They're going to undermine us when it comes to economics. And this is something I'd like to comment on. It might be a little tertiary, but um, President Biden had came out talking about an increase in capital gains tax. Why, why don't he just say, okay, it, because there's a lot of, freshly minted millionaires when it comes to crypto. Um, Why don't he, instead of saying, we're going to increase the tax, encourage the people that are those freshly minted millionaires to buy bonds. You know, at least in 10 years, they get some of the money back, you know, create win-win situations for people. You know, the bonds, they're not going to give you a good return compared to the free market, um, uh, you know, investments, and, and other type of uh, investments. But I just think it'd be a, a much better way.
0: Let me tell you, I, I am ignorant when it comes to economics, but that sounds great. And you got my my, my approval on that. Like, I, I don't know anything about bonds and all that. Can you break that down for me a little bit? Like, what do you mean?
1: I mean, I, I, I'm not an expert at this at all. This is just, you know, a spitball idea. Uh-huh. You know, 10-year 10 10 year bond treasury note will give you, uh, you know, 1%. A return on your money is you're going to lose money um, from what I understand on it. Right. But instead of, you know, losing all your money in taxes to the government, you know, make a deal, make me an offer on something. Okay. You know, okay. Now I'm following you. Know, just, you know, as a, I'm, I'm saying, him as a president, make a statement toward, you know, the crypto community of, uh, okay, we're not going to slam you with capital gains tax. Instead, we'd ask you to to invest in treasury bonds.
0: I, I I tell you too. I I think that that's a great idea, and I think uh, that would never happen <laughs> with Biden because they want that money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what one thing I think that we will see out of this is like the 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 cryptocurrencies that are very heavily. Um, Uh, hard to track like the Monero and 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 you know some some ones like that i think you'll see an inflation in those whereas you know bitcoin might take it i mean we've seen bitcoin's been i wouldn't say free fall but it's been pretty i mean it was it was almost at 60 and we're you know it's taking a tumble um but i think that's what you're going to start seeing happen i mean people aren't just going to willfully pay this if they don't have to like they're going to find a loophole. they're going to find a way to get around it and so it would be
1: if it, awesome. If it continues to have the um, growth and market capitalization that it has. And, the you know, the key is mass adoption. That's the key. Right. And if there is mass adoption, uh, just like the who was it? I can't remember the person's name. It might be the chairman of the SEC, the acting chairman of the SEC or chairperson. Uh, excuse me. Um, whenever they were questioned about crypto and they said, how can you stop peer to peer technology?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Come on, man. Um,
1: so <laughs> you have a car and I want that car. And I have fill in the blank XYZ crypto token, you know, fill in the blank. And so this crypto is valued at whatever amount of dollars. And let's say you have a truck and i offer you this crypto for the truck show you how to get a wallet and then we do the transaction uh, like that um yeah so it's peer-to-peer but that of course is going to take mass adoption and our, our government is is kind of set in its ways right now it's set in in dominance it's set in trying to keep the status quo especially when it comes to foreign policy and you see a lot of eastern European. Countries, you see, uh, Russia and China, you know, actively embracing uh, cryptocurrency because it's um, it's here to stay, no matter what people say. And there's there's going to be some dips, it's going to be some highs and lows. It is volatile. Um, you know, I'm not an expert in saying this, but this is just my speculation on how they are engaging. Uh, with us, because regardless of what people like to think, United States of America does have an economic, political, and military hegemony in this world. How many military bases, I mean, how many countries have military bases in the United States? Oh, yeah, yeah, zero, right? I mean, we might, we might invite other uh, military personnel to the states to be trained at some of our facilities, but there's no you know, Japanese military base in California, or there's no, um, United Kingdom military base in Florida, what have you, but we have bases all over the world. Right. So call it what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's just the truth of it. And so that, that pisses off a lot of people. That's, that's how it is. If you go to another country, you're going to, you're going to find out that there are a lot of people that are angry, but at the same time, there's a lot of money that is involved with us having military bases in those countries.
0: Yeah. And that's, and and that's kind of like the, the double, double side of it. Right. You know, like, you know, the, there's been entire economies based off of, you know, and a, a military base being in certain parts of, of countries. I've never been in the military myself, but I've talked to, you know, I've got friends who have, and they, tell me about like you know the, the local residents in the area they're glad we're there because you know we're giving them money and this and that and, you know they're buying their products at the market or whatever the case may be but you know i mean look look at the the message that that's sending i mean describe an empire you know and and you're describing the US you know and that's not yes. that's not at all what this country was founded to be we were not meant to be an empire we we're supposed to be something completely different you know and so um yeah, Ron Paul had it right, man. I mean, 9/11 was blowback, you know? I mean, that's just part of it. We involve ourselves in all these other things all across the globe and, you know, I think it's it's pretty telling that we don't have military bases here in the states. I mean, you bring up a very, you know, solid point in that. You know, you don't see other countries that have a, we would never allow that. You know, if you if you look at just one incident of, of a civilian casualty and I know we're I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but you know, it, you look at one incident that where we drop a bomb somewhere and a civilian gets killed. If that were to happen on U.S. soil, you'd never hear the end of it. And that's oh, just no. one, one incident, you know. But how many times does that unfold day after day in this in this insane war that just does not end, you know? Um, yeah, that's an issue, you know, big time.
1: I just think that um, you know we, we we talk so much about human rights, um, and we. I want to be, you know, even-handed, fair-minded, uh, in in the things that I'm talking about, and not not seem like, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, he, the way he's talking like that, he's some some bot. You know, from you know, some other countries, bot
0: <laughs> Russian. No that's, bot.
1: Not, no, that's not the case. That's just taking a look at what has happened, mm-hmm. what we're doing. Um, if if we are engaging, if, if we if we are using drone strikes and and civilians are being killed, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And if you don't think that that's going to piss off a lot of people, I mean. Just like you said, let something like that happen here in America. And don't you think for one second that uh, the war drums are going to start beating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's already happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's why we're in Afghanistan right now. And we're in Iraq um, because uh, the administration, uh, the Bush administration had said that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That's why we went there. We didn't find any weapons of mass destruction. Uh, we went um to Afghanistan to, to hold the people accountable who committed the, the acts uh, in 9-11. Uh, we're still there uh, almost 20 years later. Um, and it's just, I mean, where's where's it going to end? Where's it going to end? Because uh, this is not to, to knock any of our service members because they, they are... Uh, Following orders, they're in a chain of command. Um, they're 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 serving the country, but the people that make those decisions, uh, we need to hold those people accountable. Absolutely. There's a. I, I want people to understand that.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. We need to rein in these people and, and look at let's call it what it is, man. It's the military industrial complex. You know, I mean, look at all the money we spend on on just. What was that plane that they hyped up for? F-35? Years? The F-35. It just untold countless millions of dollars getting oh, thrown billions. into this program. Billions. <laughs> getting tossed into this program. And we get nothing for it. And they knew it was a dog and pony show the whole time. You know? And, and meanwhile, we got our brothers, our sisters, our our, our sons, our daughters, our, our fathers, and our mothers. They're dying. and And foreign countries overseas and there can just the same as dying and conflicts we have no business even being involved in. I mean, it's just, and it, it's exasperating conflicts. It's exasperating the problems that are already present. And I don't know, man, what do you have to show for it? And so I'm going to take this a step further. And, you know, when they come, come back here, already the VA health You know, system doesn't work for a lot of these folks. I, I, being involved in recovery, I see a lot of these these people who come back. You know, and they're they have serious problems. They have a hard time coming to grips with with some of the stuff they experienced over there, and so they get involved with substance abuse and and things along those lines. And what do they get thanked with? Getting thrown in jail and getting a felony conviction. You know, I mean, it's just
1: it's just our country has a terrible a terrible history of, of the treatment of veterans, the people yes. that have served. Um, my work in Cummins, it started off as a chaplain and then, uh, moved to, um, uh, the treatment of the inmates inside the prison and, uh, trying to help them form some type of life for themselves while they're serving their time and paying their debt to society. God bless mm-hmm. you for that, by the way. 10% of the men that were incarcerated at Cummins were veterans. Mm. There were some Vietnam veterans um, there. One guy was a tunnel rat. Um, So that's, you know, going in those tunnels with a a 1911 and doing some of the most bloody conflict that any human being could ever imagine. And then coming home, how are you ever the same person? Um, Just think about some of our brothers and sisters uh, that are infantry. Um, My friends, they told me about the infantry training. You're trained to go and kill America's enemies. Go kill, kill. I remember my friend telling me right after he got out, man, I'm ready to go kill. I'm ready to go kill. And they go over there and they do the duty. And how how do you turn that switch off? How do you turn it off? And it's not to excuse any of the horrible things they've done to other human beings, but there needs to be a little bit more mental health treatment and 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 more uh, involvement in trying to help our service members decompress from what what they uh, have, have done for our government on foreign soil, yeah, or 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 any other thing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, people that have been sexually assaulted, male and female, in the military, and uh, that needs to be. Very clear, uh, clearly stated there, um, male and female. So um, whenever we talk about sexual abuse, it uh, it happens to all uh, all people. You know, it happens to a, you know both the sexes. And, and I'm I'm saying this from being a prison chaplain, trying to carry out um, you know policy uh, when it comes to the, you know prison rape elimination act. And so uh, you know having to talk to another man that has been raped by another man as a man was one of the, uh, um, allegedly, I should say, let me, let me put that on there. Allegedly. It was, uh, it was extremely bizarre.
0: I can imagine that's a pretty heavy conversation to have.
1: You um, know. And it, uh, but anyway, the whole philosophy. Of course, you know I'm a pastor. Um, you know, we we have to be better human beings, and according to my faith, and the way I believe, the only way to be better human beings is 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 to um, be under the the lordship of Jesus Christ and uh, dedicated to um, helping others, according to how he has commanded us. He's commanded us to love one another just as we love ourselves, and right. to love, you know, love God, our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, you know, that's, that's what I'm about. And, um, even outside of his politics, that's what I'm going to be about.
0: That's a noble cause, man. I mean, it's the thing is that there's, there's a lot of folks who feel that way, right? So there's a lot of people, I mean, I'm Southern Baptist upbringing, you know, but there's very very few who feel drawn to that, who actually get up and do something like go into a prison and do that type of ministry because I've been to jail, never been to prison. I've been to jail several times though. And I could tell you that the better part of my week, month, whatever it was, was when the chaplain came through and it was just like, a way to escape that surrounding, you know, for at least a little bit, man. And here's some actual hope. Uh, I know we're kind of bouncing around topics. So I kind of want to go into the criminal justice thing, if you're cool with that for a minute. But um, that's kind of one of those things that I, that, that's where I take it real passionate. That's where I'm most passionate about is criminal justice reform, right? And recovery, ending the war on drugs, so on and so forth. But you put a bunch of people in jail for having a substance abuse disorder and you confine them with one another and give them no real outside help, you know, and you, and the Oklahoma County jail, which is where I was locked up, they had this horrible neck where once you got released, you got released at like two o'clock in the morning. And yeah, every time every time I never got released during the day. It was always 2 AM and it's downtown Oklahoma city. Nothing's open except for the, you know, getting spots and you're told to go be good. And so it's kind of like this counterproductive type of system that they had going on. But, you know, there would be those chaplains who came through and talked to us and it would be the first time that somebody had talked to me like a human being in a while. You know, I, I, Cause up to that point, I'm just dealing with other addicts. I'm dealing with CEOs. I'm dealing with jailers and and this and that. But when that chaplain came along, sat down and talked to me, like I had value, like there's something to that, man. Like there was something to that dialogue that I absolutely benefited from. And I mean, I,
1: hats off to you, man. Cause I know that's brutal going in there. It's rough. Um, if, um, opportunity presents itself uh, again i'd I'd go do it again um but there's there's also another caveat there in that the policy is um for the arkansas department of corrections let's say someone wants to go do something they want to go do um, anything they want to do something positive for the population there they walk inside there. They lose all the rank that they had outside of prison. That's a free world. Uh, free world person, you know the uh, prison. They use a different little cultural language, and everything outside of prison is free world, of course. So, a free world person comes in. They want to do a concert. Um, there's a riot. There's a hostage situation. Um, that person can't be used as a bargaining chip. Um, even the director of of the Department of Corrections couldn't be used as as a bargaining chip. So it's um, it's real dangerous inside prisons. They could blow up at any any moment. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, there's there's a, um, I mean there's gangs there, obviously, and a lot of uh, you know. White supremacist gangs started in in prisons. Um, the Aryan Nation, if I'm remembering correctly, it started in the uh, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, their uh, their prisons there. And there's a war. I had to deal with. <laughs> I'm calling out my name. Uh, I had to deal with them for about a month. Um, whenever I had kicked out a major and a captain from one of the uh, barracks, preparing. Some of the men to reenter society. Um, they call it Think Legacy in the Department of Directions. And I couldn't have a major who's like running the entire gang for a state, and a captain who's right under him, in a barracks full of people who are about to be released into uh, the free world, just carrying out the criminal enterprise. And a lot of a lot of those gangs they deal in methamphetamines, but, you know, you wouldn't have that type of uh, environment where you have these large cartels. I'm just being honest, we created a black market and in black markets, there comes violence, there comes all the brutality associated with that. As it says, you know, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so there's a lot of money involved in black market trade. You're going to have a lot of evil things in black market trade. Yeah. I mean, there's evil things being done above the ground in uh, uh, just what we have in our country, you know, legally. I mean, just think about the economic crisis in 2008. Uh, Just tell us exactly what went down, what happened. Just tell us the truth. And I'm sure if we heard the truth, it would make all of our stomachs just feel sick. Oh, yeah. You know, gambling with people's futures like that just for the sake of your own financial gain is immoral. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Without a doubt, man, Um, we did, you know, doing the recovery thing we have. We do what's called H and I's, which is kind of like, you know, what you do. It's but we take meetings inside of facilities. It's called it stands for hospitals and institutions. And Mm -hmm. we were doing we were doing a county jail. Uh, in the county I reside in and they have these big open day pods, right? So they, they have for the men, they have like three different pods and it's just a modge podge. I mean, you could have somebody in there for simple possession and then also somebody in there for legit murder, you know, like. And it's all open air. And so they would just like let us into the pod and they would close the door behind us. And they We're surrounded by like 60 or 70 dudes from varying various, you know, criminal uh, enterprises all with, you know, it's just an ocean of orange jumpsuits and we would sit down and, you know, it was kind of a known thing that if something went down, we're on our own, but it never failed, man. As soon as we started talking about like why we were there, It's almost like there was some respect with that, you know, so while, while there certainly is an element to the criminal enterprise and absolutely drugs being pro, the prohibition has caused these cartels and these gangs to rise up and really be funded. There's a a sizable amount of the people involved in that who want a way out. Yeah, not want to be involved. All involved in it, you know, but it's like this cyclical thing. Like, like I told you, like I got out at 2 a.m., you know, like thank God I found a way out of that. But I mean, what message are you sending these people? You're letting them out. They got a felony conviction. They can't find a job. They got nothing going for them. So they go right back to where they were. And it's just this cycle over and over again, you know, it's a revolving door. And whenever we were able to sit down and actually talk about some hope, I don't know, man, it's like a light came on the sad part about it is, is that very rarely did we see somebody make it outside of that jail and come to one of our meetings. Yeah. You know, And that's, it sucked. You know, that a lot of times what we would see is somebody like, man, I'm getting out next week. You won't see me next week, but you won't see me in here, but you will see me. I'll be at your meeting. I'm like, okay. And next week we never saw him. And then a month down the road, we go back to the jail and they're in there again. And it's like, dude, yeah. what happened? You know? And so, I I I don't know. I, I think a huge thing for us to be would be that you know obviously ending this war on drugs, then we need cap the finances of some
1: of these enterprises and get some of these people a shot, right? There, um, some of the changes in in my opinion to the criminal justice, uh, you know, there needs to be a little bit more avenues for rehabilitation, and some people may not agree with this, but I. They already have a form of this in the prisons. Um, they call it whole squad. Whenever you're a new commit, you have to fulfill sixty days whole squad, and they're out there. They go out. They got hoe. They chopping it, dirt, turning over, um, working on. Cummins is a big farm unit, so there's a lot of uh, you know farming being done out there. So they grow a lot. Um, but I think. I think you have, they call them short hairs. They used to call them short hairs because they shaved the head once they come in. And there's a big, long history of Cummins. Uh, they had to turn it over to the feds for a little while because of some unconstitutional things being done there. And I'm sure, you know, the movie Baker is loosely based on some of the things that happened at Cummins, uh, the wow. prison that I worked at there in, in Arkansas. I think we need to reimagine how corrections is being done because we want to help the men change their pattern of behavior to a pattern of behavior that is congruent with um, what's necessary to to be a successful person in a civil society. And you have to find a way to get, get the men's attention. And I keep talking about men because my work is primarily around men. Um, so just, just for anybody that's wondering, why is he talking about men so much? <laughs> but anyway. Well, I
0: mean, that's how the, that's how it is, though. I mean, that, I get it. I
1: understand. You so know. that's why I mentioned men a lot. So we we have to do kind of a step down, in my opinion. And it's, it's the same way that all of us have been trained to, you know, behave a certain way a little bit of the carrot, a little bit of the stick. Sometimes a carrot, sometimes a stick. Um, and you have to catch the men's attention to understand that uh, you know the behavior that you're on right now, it's, it's already got you in a bad situation. And so you have to crawl out of this bad situation to a better situation. So you have to stop the behavior that led you here and start doing the things that are gonna lead you toward a higher path and become your better self. Right. So there you can't spend fifteen years or twenty years of your life in the same place where you can walk from one end to the other end in fifteen minutes and get kicked out at they don't they don't do that uh at Cummins, you know, get people out at two AM for security reasons, obviously. Um is you need to be able to see things at a maximum security prison. Right. So I would say, you know, having step, you know, take a person from the maximum security, if they're on good behavior, move them toward a uh, little bit more freedom. They already do something like this, but it needs to be more progressive and it needs to be aimed towards success in in the free world. Uh, because there's a lot of things, somebody that spent 20 years uh um, what are they going to know about the internet or what are they going to know about opening up a bank account or what are they going to know about you know the skills that they have to have to do a job interview i mean just cutting out some of the prison lingo and some of the behavior uh, you know in prison it's either you fight or you're going to be somebody's punk for right. the time that you have to, to, to serve there or you're going to have to kill somebody in order to, to survive. And if you don't think that happens.
0: Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I got a uh, very close friend of mine who went in for some auto burglary rap. You know, he, he was 17 at the time, charged him as an adult. He was going to do handful of years and get out, wound up in that exact situation, end up having to kill somebody, you know, and, he ended up doing 20 calendar years, you know, and he, he got out and let me tell you that was, I mean, he went back a couple of times after that. Thank God he's doing good now. Like he was, he's gotten his foot, feet in recovery, but let me tell you like his entire life, he missed his, his daughter growing up. He missed an entire lifetime worth of moments that are gone because he was behind those walls. You know, he couldn't get out and, it got to such a point. He told me that his last five years on that 20 year wrap, he just stopped accepting mail. He didn't want to hear about it because he didn't think he was ever going to get out again. You know, he thought this was it. Um, and so he stopped accepting mail from his daughter, stopped accepting mail from his parents, like had no desire whatsoever to even be connected with the outside world. And, you know, I, I've talked, I, I deal a lot with people who, who are, institutionalized. And, you know, he, he mirrored this same concept and I hear it a lot is that for a lot of these guys, they spend so much time in in a facility like that where it's like, they're afraid of the outside because they don't know their boundaries out here. Right. Whereas like there's a code of conduct on the inside of those walls that they know exactly where they stand at any given moment on any given day without out here, it's not like that. Out here in the free world, it's not like that, you know? And so, whereas they hate being locked up, it's it's this kind of like comfort for them almost, you
1: know? And it's just sad, man. Like, that's what we're doing to people, you know? Yeah. Uh, <sighs> I mean, especially when it comes to, you know, low-level offenders and, um, you know, people with drug possession charges, I keep, this This always stays on my mind, and it was a story from another chaplain, and what he told me, and it it's just stuck with me, still to this day. So, in prison, they have general population, they have administrative segregation, restrictive housing, and punitive isolation. And... Sometimes in punitive isolation, they'll have people in in, in they'll bunk up two to a cell in punitive isolation. So this one inmate wanted to be by himself. He said, "If you bring anybody in here, I'm gonna kill him. Uh, I'm gonna kill anybody bringing here." And so they brought in this young man. I can't remember what charge he had, but it was it was a uh, it was something that could have been handled outside of our, our particular way of doing dealing with the criminal justice system. Or if he if he got a charge and it wasn't but a one, two-year service that he had to do in prison. Well, he did something. I don't know what he did. Ended up in punitive isolation in that cell with that dude and uh, he got killed. And the dude was bamming on the uh, the cell, you know, the bars there, yelling for security, for the correctional officer to come get him. Because he just killed him. So there's some dangerous men in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this this person that just had a two year sentence went in there and got killed. Um, you know, a short sentence, real short sentence. And there's been other people that were just about to get out. And I've talked about K2, uh, and spice, or whatever you call it. You know, there's a bunch of different names for it the synthetic marijuana. And it was coming in and there's there's only a certain avenue that drugs come into a prison, come in through visitation. Uh, they come in through uh, security or staff, dirty yep. staff. Yep. Drones, dropping drones or drop outside for whole squad to bring in. Uh, they, they do those type of things. And so, I mean, imagine just that cheap ten dollar phone from the dollar store going for $700 in the prison. And so that creates an incentive for dirty staff to bring in things. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, just drugs and all kinds of things. There's a big, huge economy inside those prisons, and there's people that control it, and it's just it's just not good.
0: No. That's the, the, two, the guy with the two-year sentence getting killed, man. That's just... If you were the guard that put that guy in that cell, you know, if you were the guard that that, that fell on your cell, how, how, how do you sleep
1: at night, man? You know, like. and Probably. Uh, uh, I'm thinking about some of my colleagues and they, they all were trying to do their job. I mean, corrections is totally different from free world policing. Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of de-escalation. <laughs> and um, I was talking to, you know, there are some correctional officers that are also part-time uh, free world police officers. There's not a lot of lot of them, but there are a lot of people that come in through corrections and then they go to uh, free world policing. But generally, the people that were trying to go for free world policing but ended up in corrections, you know, to become a law enforcement officer, they d- didn't last long in working in the prison because got to use your mind a lot. It takes a lot of mental toughness and you have to de-escalate um, because, again, it could blow up at any second and there are plenty of riots that happen there and coming. So, you have to be real crafty and it takes a lot of um, flexibility with the inmate population because, um, of course, there's obviously more inmates than there are security staff. But, um, so, some of the correctional officers, that I talked to, they they had a little jokes for people that, that wanted to be law enforcement. They couldn't cut it in corrections and they go out to the free world to be police because uh, um, you don't have a gun on your hip. You're not going to have a taser on your hip. You're not even going to have a nightstick on your hip. You have that chemical burst and that's usually deployed whenever it's an extreme situation uh, because <laughs> as soon as you try to spray somebody else, you can also spray yourself. And right. As it, it, has happened. There were some officers, um, that had it taken away from them and got sprayed by inmates. So, um, Ouch. it ain't easy in there. It's not yeah. easy. Right. Yeah. That would be all bad, man.
0: <laughs> You're trying to handle a situation. You end up getting blasted for yourself. My God, my God, that'd be terrible. You know, so let's let's get on to uh let's let's kind of maneuver into you you just announced and, and you kind of hinted at it but you're running for governor of Arkansas. Tell us about that. What's your what's your image? What do you want to see happen? What what you know out of out of a uh, governor seat from you?
1: Well, I want the you know the governor is an executive and administrator of the of the state government. Um, that's pretty much all it is, right there. Just coalesce all the high ten-dollar words. It just coalesce it to what it is. It's an executive administrative position, it's like the CEO of the state. Um, you know, I'm just trying to put it simply. And so, you know, for me, what I'd hope to do in the state is to simply let the people rule. Uh, is is the is the slogan? I guess you could say. Um, Getting, we want to get people's input on the things that need to change in the state rather than one party or the other party uh, you know, domineering through force of legislation or force of, of any kind of influence um, and then and in trying to you know, get more power for themselves or for their, uh, their cronies or whatever type of group they're in. And the people are, are, I hate to put it this way, when it comes to politics in America, when the Democrat or the Republican, you know, your average American, it's kind of like, you know, being the child in a custody battle and mommy and daddy are not acting like adults and they're using you as as a bargaining tool for one or the other one to win. Right. And that's kind of like what our politics is right now. And so what I want to do is, is give the people the rightful power that they have. And all I am uh, hope to be as governor is just an administrator and directing uh, assets, energies uh, to to helping the people of Arkansas.
0: I I can dig that, man. If I lived in Arkansas, you'd get my vote in a heartbeat, buddy. I promise you that, you know. Um, But you're absolutely right. You know, this whole partisanship thing it just it gets so tiring, you know. It gets so exhausting, um, and it becomes a thing where it's about everybody wants to be right, and nobody wants to be decent. Everybody yeah. wants, to, you know. And and when's the last time you heard anybody? It, it, it politicians have been this way for a while. When's the last time you heard anybody say, you know, what I was wrong, and and actually mean it? You know, we we've gotten into this culture. Of having,
1: unless it was a scandal. No. Yeah,
0: no. I mean, and that's the thing. And it's okay to to say, you know, look, I I had this wrong, you know, and I apologize. I mean, that's the sign of me uh, strength. I don't know. I was thinking about that the other day, man, and it, it, that gets under my skin. It's because I mean, we're we're all humans, all of us, every single one of us is human. We make mistakes, but
1: you I know, one of the paradigm of of how we build things when it comes to politics. Okay. The politician they're running because they believe their way is right. And you should vote for them because they're right about what they're talking about. And so just like you said, you, if you build up the whole house of cards on your rightness and you come out, you know, saying, Oh, I messed up on something, you know, it all comes tumbling down because that's how we have allowing our politics to build up. So instead of sharing power, I mean, there is shared power in a sense whenever it comes to the parties um, because, you know, having a party essentially get a like-minded p- group of people together. We're collectively bringing our funds together to move forward in the agenda. So there's some type of power sharing there. But when it comes to, you know, the bigger scale, again, with this hyper-partisanship, It's, you know, one trying to dominate the other. And if you start building coalitions and you set out to share power with other people, as our Constitution laid out, uh, 10th Amendment says if the the power not expressly given to the federal government lies with the people and the states. And so. When are we going to start living up to that? Right. I mean, it's just in human nature uh, for us to. And if I get a little power, I want a bit more. Um, and, and it takes, in order to, just to like in Lord of the Rings, you know, they're right there after they fought uh, at the beginning of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. And Elrond, is that the name of the Elf there? Takes uh, so. that. Hugo Weaving played, and he was telling Sealdor uh, to throw the ring, destroy it. I mean, he could have just destroyed it right there over and done with. But the allure of power um, just grasped his heart. And that analogy uh, is, is translate right into everyday life. And, and none of us are immune to this. Um, in order to be immune to it, it takes everyday work, everyday work on your character, everyday work on your integrity, everyday work on your principles, to where whenever you are faced with that type of adversity or challenge, you can stand up to it because it's already in your heart, it's already in your mind who you are. So whenever you're faced with it, it's nothing for you.
0: you you're inspiring me over here, man. I I love you, dude. You you got this way of, of, of talking about that. That's awesome. Uh man, you got me fired up. I might just move to Arkansas just to vote for you. How about that, man? um so what what are your what are your campaign plans what's that looking like are you gonna hit the road uh start visiting the various counties in arkansas or you gonna kind of satellite that out like what's your what's your approach going to be just out of curiosity
1: well I, I i like to get out and talk with people um we're going to try to hit up all 75 state uh not states but 75 counties <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's in Arkansas um, and talk to people and, and let them know what the plan is. Um, it's a simple plan, as I say, as I stated, I want to be an administrator working for all the people of Arkansas and and not just, you know, what my plan is. But I want to hear what the plan of, you know, the people in Baxter County is or the people in, in Chico County or the people in DeShay County or in Hempstead County. What What is the plan for Hempstead County? And what can I do as governor to help the people of Hempstead County, the people of Miller County, of Pulaski County be more successful? And that's it.
0: Man, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to, whenever we wrap up, I'm going to get you in touch with uh, with somebody out in my neck of the woods, Chris Powell. That, that man is a, and there's some people who can look at at statistics, voter statistics, and they just enjoy it. I'm not one of them, but he is. <laughs> so he uh, he was our gubernatorial candidate in uh, 16, and oh, I'm sorry, in 18, 16, 18, one of the two. Sorry, you have to forgive me. 18, that's what it was. And uh, the the man's got some really great ideas. And with your with your passion and your drive, I think that you guys could help each other out with that. But how uh, to the people who are listening, how if they live in, in your neck of the woods or even if they don't, how can we help you be successful? Like what are some what what are some things that you're needing right now?
1: Right now, uh, fundraising is a big thing because, you know, get to those 75 counties. Um, it's going to take funds. And uh, it's unfortunate the way money is in politics. But again, things certain things cost money. Um, TV ads cost money. Travel requires gas. It costs money. Science costs money Um, for people to devote all of their time to this campaign for it to be successful. It does cost money because they they have things that they need to take care of as well if they're going to dedicate uh, their time to to try to make the state better. So right now, uh, we're getting ready to kick up uh, fundraising uh, to to also for, for ballot access, but also for this campaign to be successful. Okay. Uh, If if you're on social media, share the post. Tell other people to follow me on Twitter. Follow the Facebook account. Uh, This is what we need. Um, If you see a a post that you like, share it. If you don't like it, uh, you know, it's up to you. Um, You know, you you live your life. Um, If you want to help, those are some of the key ways to help right now as we boost up our, our reach there on social media. And um, consider being uh, uh, a monthly donor. Uh, My website is rickieherrington.com. It does have some leftover stuff, uh, but the person that fixes that uh, also costs money. (laughs) Uh, uh, That's that right there. Um, Consider giving $10 a month, um, if you can can spare it, $10 a month right there. uh, On on the website, you can go there and make a donation through anadot.com. And and we'll be we'll be on the road to, to running uh, a professional campaign, and giving the other candidates a run for the money, and let the people of Arkansas know who else they're going to have on their ballot. I can dig it, man. You
0: expect a expect a donation coming from the clean libertarian household, man. I believe in what you're doing. Um, I, I I hope to see you do really well in this race. I, I I know that you can do it. You have a way of talking, and I want. I hope that eventually you get to a place where you're able to kind of teach other candidates how to carry themselves in the way that you have, man. Because like I said, you're inspirational. So, um, Ricky, thank you so much for coming on. Um, So I'll I'll put your links in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to plug before we get off here?
1: I just want to appreciate you, Drew, for letting me come on. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you.
0: Anytime, man. I'll, I'll have you back on, I promise. All right. All right. Well, you have a good one now.
1: Same to you. God bless.
0: All right. Thanks again to Mr. Ricky Harrington for coming on and talking to us. Um, I will drop the website in the show notes page. If you are from, you know, the Arkansas area, or if you have the means to be able to donate, man, hit them up. Like it, it is going to cost quite a bit of money to get around the state, but the man has a very real shot. You know, um, his race made made got national attention you know in 2020 so he's already got his foot in the door this is a viable candidate and he's got a way of sharing the libertarian message where it's positive you know he's reaching people who a lot of us probably wouldn't be able to reach and so uh without a doubt hit him up check him out on social media and facebook and the like and also donate to his campaign if you have the opportunity and with that, I'm going to wrap it up, man. This is going to be the song of the day. And I'm going to throw it back to a little Bad Brains action. This is a song called Attitude. And there's a book. Here's why I like this song and why I picked it for this episode specifically. There's a there's a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. And Bad Brains, they, they had this like whole positive mental attitude bias about them right like they think you know change your thinking into a positive way and you know you're going to have positive outcomes so i don't know man i just think this couples well with you know kind of the approach that ricky takes on on bringing up some of these points and i don't know it's just a cool song so with that i'm going to leave you with bad brains attitude (laughs)